0: Well, the sermon comes from some of my own reading in the last couple of months on on the Psalms. I've been looking at some of the Psalms, and, and sometimes they'll just reach up and grab me, and I want to convey something of that to you all. Because if my heart is stirred, then I'm always hopeful that your hearts will be stirred too. And um, such as a, a happening, or such a a, a sense. Uh, Came about through reading this psalm, because it um, as, as it begins, it's not a, entirely apparent what the uh, what the psalm is about. But I've entitled it "Good and Bad Religion," because um, all people are religious to some degree, but it's just a question of what kind of religion are do they do they hold to? What, how how religious are? In what way are they religious? And we remember that the, the Lord says that it, it, it does, it's not a blessing for us to be, quote, religious, generally speaking, or generically speaking, without definition. The Lord loves specificity. He loves, when, when we're religious, he loves us to know that he is God. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he reveals himself to be um, Jehovah, Jehovah. Um, uh, Emmanuel, the God who is with us, Jesus Christ. Uh, so he, um, he reveals himself specifically and he loves us to know him specifically, who he is. So uh, this, this psalm starts out by contrasting, verse 1, starts out by contra- contrasting good and bad religion, good and bad faith. He says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy. So what the Lord is t- talking about here is that we're knowing creatures. We are sentient creatures. We are logical creatures. We are creatures of some knowledge, unlike all the other creatures of the world that that have uh, some knowledge, but not the kind of knowledge which has to do with self-reflection and Wondering about ourselves, like um, there's no there's no coyote that howls at night, and then wonders to himself, was that really proper? <laughs> no, they just the animal world does what it does, but we as creatures, we ref- we're self-reflective. We wonder, is is our response to life, is our, our thoughts correct? And so, um, such creatures as us, it it, it seems to us that. Um, when we think about ultimate reality, nine times out of ten or 99 times out of a hundred, the, the way that we, uh, the, the thoughts that we recline to or the comfort that we find has to do with what we're thinking and what, what our minds are saying. But the Lord here in this Psalm says, no, that's not the way to start our thinking. But if we're, if we're going to start thinking about ultimate reality, if we're going to start thinking about what's right and wrong, uh, it's not unto us. We shouldn't be thinking about ourselves as the ultimate reference point or the ultimate, ultimate arbiter of what's right and wrong. But we ought to be thinking about the Lord. Now that just doesn't make sense to the, um, to the average person in the world. They think they think. Well, if we don't start with ourselves, how do we make sense of things? Then the problem is, if we start with ourselves, we won't make sense of things. If we start with ourselves, we look out into the universe, and our brains and our our thoughts can't really uh, understand or or um, interpret the things of ultimate reality of the heavens and the earth, and and so whatever knowledge that we can gain by telescopes and other things that that's always conditioned by the the thought the underlying thought is that really true or are, are we what are we really seeing does it have any ultimate significance but what we see is that there is a God who has spoken in the Bible and if we acknowledge that his word is uh, meaningful and significant, then it opens up our whole existence. It opens up our whole way of seeing things and understanding things. And we say, oh, now I see. uh, God created the universe. God created these stars. God created my own mind. And if I simply rest on his explanation of things, then everything else makes sense. Uh, I was listening to one of my favorite uh, intellectual source this day, this week, that I really enjoy most of the time, Jordan Peterson. And, um, but as he, as he talked, he, he's so, he's such a bright fellow that he's, he, he litters his, uh, or adorns, would be a nicer verb, his speeches with uh, references to different brilliant psychologists and Different thinkers, philosophers, and that sort of thing. And whenever he's whenever he gets going on like that, I, I think to myself, "Yes, you know, it's obvious, Jordan. You are a brilliant fellow, and it's wonderful that you can make these allusions or these references to all these intelligent people. But what about what 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 place does the Lord have in your thinking? What place do, does the Psalm have in your thinking that says that?" Um, that it's better to simply walk in the way of the Lord. And that if you walk in the way of the Lord, you'll be more intelligent than all the ancients, all the people that you're quoting in this, in this particular speech. Uh, but yet, at the same time, I understand that the average man is not like that. The average man thinks that unless he um, goes to school and learns about all the thoughts of other men, that he really his thinking won't really amount to much. In the end, what this psalm teaches us is that you can either start by listening to the the voice of God, or you can start by listening to the voice of men, which um, which is more significant. And it tells us right up front, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name, give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. So there are two great themes that he sees as significant, given to us by God, God's truth and God's mercy. Things like the creation are God's truth. The thing like the, the idea that we're created in the image of God, that the reason why we are so different than any other creature in the world is because God created us in his image and likeness. So that's why we're different than the coyote, or we're different than the wolf, or we're different than the bear. We may we may delight in those things, we may see their beauty as God created them, but we need to realize that we're more special than they because. We're created in the very image and the likeness of God. And, and so um, <clears throat> uh, God says that both his truth and his mercy are an indication of why we ought to listen to him. When it comes to the mercy of God, we understand this, this relates to the fact that we fell into sin and that he's still talking to us and that he opened up a way to us to find redemption from him. And in effect, that's the story of the whole Bible. And so um, the psalmist says to us uh, to give glory to God, to, give, to rejoice in him, first of all, in our lives, because of his mercy and because of his truth. These two fundamental parts of reality. Now, verse 2 is really neat because it, it, God refers to the taunts of false faith. Or the taunts of the world, because the world does not respect this way of approaching God. What does the world say? He, he says in verse two, "Why should the Gentiles say?" You now the Gentiles are are those people that are outside of the covenant. They're not the, they're not the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's family. They are people that are outside of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're made up of all the peoples of the world, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Germans, the Irish, all these different peoples of the world, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Sumerians, all these different peoples of the world. <clears throat> uh, they, they are grouped together. So that the psalmist is saying there are two basic groups of people in the world. There are the people of the covenant, and then there are the, the Gentiles, the people outside the covenant. The minute, you, the minute you recognize it, you say, well, there's a whole lot of difference in the numbers, especially earlier on here, because it was like the whole world, the whole family of mankind were on one side of the equation, and then the few people, like the people that came from the blessed line, the spiritual line of Noah, uh, it was their line uh, who were people of the covenant. And so, when you're outside the covenant, um, they, uh, the, So verse 2 characterizes their speech as, as asking this uh, cynical question um, and taunting the people of faith with it. They say, so where is their God? And we have that same kind of thing happening today. Um, people look at us and they say, like people can look at us in this church and say, how, how? Why in the world are you people even meeting? You you don't even have a hundred people here. You don't have a thousand. You don't have ten thousand. What what in the world are you doing? Where is your God? If your God was here, what, if your God was here, wouldn't He have blessed you? Wouldn't He make you more tangible? Wouldn't He make he, you more significant, and more important? So it's a very very um, obvious question that the world has always asked me or demanded of the people of God. We think of Pharaoh. And when God spoke to him and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, are you kidding? They're my slaves. I'm not theirs. Where are you? Where where are you, O tangible God of of, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of whom Moses speaks? Uh, It would seem to me that the shoe was on the other foot. You're nothing, and your people are nothing. So God said, okay, I'll bring on the frogs. (laughs) I'll bring on this and that, and I'll kill your firstborn until you acknowledge my sovereignty. Because God wanted, when he sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh, the one thing he wanted Moses to tell Pharaoh was that Pharaoh should recognize his, that is, Jehovah's glory. In Jehovah's deity, and that's the one thing Pharaoh would not acknowledge. He would, he would, under the judgments that God brought upon him, he would be bowed down. He would, he would get depressed. He would get sick. He would get covered with frogs or fleas or whatever else that the Lord brought through these plagues. But as soon as they, as soon as the plague went away, he'd stand up again and he'd say, "See, I knew you weren't there. I knew you had nothing to do with me." And uh, until the, the final plague, where even the, the firstborn of every family, the glory of Egypt, were taken from them, and he finally said, "Okay, I will let I will let these people go." But before that, he kept asking this question of verse two: uh, Why should the Gentiles say this kind of thing? So where is their God? We are faced with the same kind of thing today. Every one of us in our existence. Um, <clears throat> what is the answer of faith in this case? Um, the, the, uh, the taunts of false false faith, false faith are looking for importance and significance. And what I call here uh, in the notes tangibility well, actually I misspelled it. I wrote tangibility. <laughs> I just noticed that Transib- no, that's tangibility. And so, um, but we have the same problem of Christianity because we were talking about this before the service. So, so many people, um, they just don't have the capacity to see the greatness of God unless the greatness of God is adorned with great buildings, with great ceremonies, with great robes, with great significance in this world. The world... The world um, loves or, or idolizes tangibility. Tangibility is the, the tangible or the touchable things of this world that you can f- see and feel and touch. Now the problem with this is, is that the tangible things don't have any significance in and of themselves. We have a world that is a very in love with t- the, the what we can see and feel and touch today, the tangible things, but that world is also going nuts. It's going crazy because it can't make sense of things. And um, instead of making significance of their lives people are buying things like fentanyl from Mexico and China and they're killing themselves by it and yet even as they're dying they, they can't understand the significance of these things and they can't see that it's better to be alive than dead and so it's like zombies they march through the streets crying out I've got to have these drugs I've got to have this stuff you can't stop me You can't impede my life and my aspirations. Let me kill myself. That that in essence is so much of what modern life is like. It's crazy. But it's because uh, meaning and significance is not found in the things that are tangible, the things that we can see and feel and touch. So verse 3, the psalmist responds to this challenge or this taunt where is their God? He says, but our God is in the heaven. He does whatsoever or whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The God of Israel <clears throat> um, is the mysterious, transcendental God of this world. And even though he doesn't, he doesn't show up and dance when we command him to, he's very significant. He, he upholds the whole creation. We're told in Colossians that we studied just not too long ago, we're told that all things cohere or consist in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Now, that person of the Trinity through whom all things were created and made. And so behind all of these mysterious forces like magnetism, and gravity and these kinds of things behind all of these powers, the ultimate power that stands behind them, that defines them, and makes them work, is the powers of God. And so the psalmist tells them that, but our God is in the heaven, he does whatever he pleases. It's too bad that our God doesn't meet your pleasure syndrome or your idea of definition. But that doesn't mean that he's not there. And In fact, as you look at the God of the Bible and the people of the God of the Bible, you see super, super significance. Where where is the tradition of unbelief compared with the tradition of faith? We can go back, tracing the people of faith way back to the very beginning of the creation, to Adam and Eve. And um, we have friends uh, like Seth, and uh Noah and uh, the children of Noah that were faithful and and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these people agree with us I mean for for a thousand millennia thousands and thousands and thousands of years we have people that have the same basic theology as we have today they they're not like the rationalists who became popular in philosophy, in the 1600s, or the empiricists of the 13 of the 1700s, and uh, um, the Kantians of the late 1700s, or the Hegelians, uh, those people came and go, went. They, they they supposedly they made new discoveries, but but where are those discoveries really? What what have they? What fruit have they borne? But our people. The people who agree with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who agree with Moses, who agree with Noah, who agree with Adam and Eve. Our people have been around, and there's a continuity. uh, So that the world may say, well, you you people in the 21st century, you just don't make any sense. Talking about this Bible and the word of God. What is that? And we say, well, what what is your word? At least our word has been around since the beginning of time, and there have been people since the beginning of time who have acknowledged that word and have said that's the truth. They've said our God lives in the heavens, and He decrees whatsoever He wills from the heavens. Now the psalmist goes on from that point, and then he begins to he make he makes a further response beginning in verse four through verse eight. Uh, where he uses sarcasm about the things that are esteemed by the world. Uh, the, so he talks about the idols, he does a self or he does a critique of all the idols of the world that are compared with this, this mysterious spiritual God who dwells in the heavens. And it's really neat to see that there's this comparison made. So ultimately we have to decide for ourselves. Are our gods this this mysterious God who speaks in His Word, or are our gods the gods of silver and gold that we fashion with our own hands, the the ideas that we form and fashion with our own brains? The psalmist says, "Their their idols are silver and gold, the work of men men's hands." Now think about that. You see, if we make if we make the God with our own hands, what kind of a God is it that we're making? We're looking for something that's superior to us, but we're superior to them in that we fashion them and we form them. Mm -hmm. Yikes. I heard a a buzz earlier uh, in the sermon. A little click of my phone. I I should have realized that the sound was on. I'm sorry. But uh, if if we create... Our own idols, then how can we feel that the idols are really superior to us, just superior to our brains? How can we really believe the idols are really divine? And so the psalmist speaks about these, and he says they have mouths, but they do not speak. You, you, you can see the little idol on the shelf, and it's got a mouth. If you look at the Near Eastern gods that, that you can see in archaeology, they have mouths, but the psalmist goes over those those statues, those idols, and he makes fun of them. He mocks them. He says, yes, they have a a mouth, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They're deaf and dumb. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses have they, but they do not smell. What's wrong, little idol? You can't really smell. The, The smell that's in the house today, you can't really see what's going on. You're sitting on my shelf. We can call you a God, but what, what are you really except some dumb thing that's just sitting there that is not really alive? Whereas our God, you say, you say it doesn't, you say our God doesn't match our sensibilities or our expectations, but our God is way above those expectations. And you say, well, how do you know that? We say, well, there's been people going way back to Adam and Eve who have believed that, who have heard God's word, and they've acknowledged the truth of that. And so really, our significance, even though our God is ineffable, even though he's transcendent, even though he's intangible, he is more, he's more tangible in terms of real meaning than anything that you've ever produced. Noses have they, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet have they, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And then the clincher, verse 8, Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. In other words, people who trust in the idols of this world rather than the Lord are just dumb and ignorant and stupid. And they can be taunted. They started this. They said, where is your God? Verse 2. Where is your God, you Christians? Where is your God, you Israelites? Where is he? We can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't feel him. Well, One good term deserves another. Their taunt deserves the taunt of the psalmist. And so the psalmist taunts them right back. And he says, even though you have things you can see and feel and touch, they amount to nothing. They're totally insignificant. Why in the world do you worship these things? And we can taunt the cultural mandarins of our day. Who want to cloak themselves in the ribbons and the mantles and the diplomas of the highest sources of learning and say, This is significant. I've graduated from Harvard. This is significant. Look at the look at the scholar on my doctoral robe. That's real significance. And we say, Yeah, what do what do they do? They they you have no real significance in all of your thinking. Your idols cannot speak, they cannot hear, they cannot touch. Um, They just are emblems of stupidity. So that in the end, our faith is much more significant uh, than yours. Um, Then God closes the psalm by, uh, it starts with verse 9, this plea, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. In other words, realize what's really important in this world. Don't be, don't be, um, seduced by the people of the world who talk about significance but can't really deliver it. Verse 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. Um. Psalm 112 says that the righteous shall be in God's everlasting remembrance. Here it says the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. The most blessed thing in the world is to know that God thinks of you. That in our unique smallness as creatures, in our tininess, in our insignificance, We obtain significance because God pays attention to us. God has a love for his elect. And so even though we might not amount to anything in this life, in the future life in heaven, our existence is going to be more significant than kings and queens of this earth. Because we are going to have the audience of the Lord. The Lord is going to be our, our, we're going to be his audience. But in a certain sense, he is our audience, too. He, he gives us of his glory. He imparts to us his glory. Psalm 8 speaks of this, about how uh, we're created by him. But he imparts to us his glory. And the only way to really have glory as a human being is not to make it ourselves, not to manufacture it by our robes or by our diplomas or by the size of our companies, the way to obtain glory is to receive it freely from God as he bestows it upon us, uh, like the prophet's uh, uh, mantle that was put upon prophets, enabling them to speak the word of God, to to be the mouthpieces for the Lord. And so as the Lord allows us to praise him and to worship him, it's a wonderful and glorious thing. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and small. May the Lord give you increase more and more to you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, as God made the earth, he will make you, O people of faith. The heavens, verse 16, the heavens, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. That's why there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Because God has given the earth to the children of men to, glo- to enjoy and to glory. Of, to glory in. And when all things are made right, when the new heavens and the new earth are created, we shall see the, the eternal joy of both heaven and earth. Verse 17 closes this thought. It says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God's people are eternal. God's people are, for, are part of his forever family. If we are with the Lord, then we are people of the resurrection. We shall not die, but we shall live forever. We shall be the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whom Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, we, said that we, we, talk, we, call, we call the people of God the people of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at present tense, even though these people have all died in the past. They're they're, they're being kept alive by God the Father, and they will be kept alive forever in his heavenly disposition. So Psalm 115, it sounds like it's just a a psalm um, sort of talking about religion in a vague way, but... The Lord is talking, giving us the true definition of true religion and false religion, and he's exhorting us to be people of faith, be people, that, people of the word, people of the Bible, people of significance, people of true glory. There's the glory that we produce as human beings, and then there's the glory that God gives us as his special creation. It's a wonderful thing to be the recipient of God's own holy glory.